few weeks ago, I read an article. And this article was all about a number of different couples who have decided that they don't want to have children. I should point out, these are not couples who can't have children. These are couples who have made a very definite decision that that's not a path that they want to go down. And the person who wrote this article, he interviewed each of the different couples. And he asked them, what was it that made you decide you didn't want to have any children? And as you might expect, there were some answers that came up quite a bit. You can maybe actually guess what some of the answers might have been. Uh, Some of the couples were very career-minded. And they had a very clear idea of where they wanted to go on the career ladder. And they didn't want anything stopping them from reaching their goals. Some of the couples were very into travelling. And they were worried if we were to have children, well that's going to hinder us. It's going to stop us from taking these spontaneous trips. And that's not the sort of lifestyle we want. So we're not going to have any children. Sometimes it was actually more about stress and worry. And some of these couples, they they spoke about friends of theirs who had children. And they could see how stressed out those friends were all the time. And they thought to themselves, look, that's not something that we want to have to deal with. So they decided not to have children of their own. Now, before I go on, let me just say, I know there are plenty of people. And they would love nothing more than to have children of their own. And I know for many people it's been a real source of pain that they haven't been able to have children. But having said that, those interviews that I read, they say quite a lot, don't they? about a lot of today's culture. For many people, not for all people, but for many people, children are not so much a blessing as a burden. Children are little people who tie you down, they wreck your career, and they give you sleepless nights. Well, this morning, we're looking at a psalm that doesn't show us the world's perspective on children, it shows us God's perspective on children. And especially, we're going to look at verse 3 to verse 5. And this morning, I'm going to be directing some of my comments directly to Stephen and Brenda. But what we're going to see here does apply to everybody. And some of you are parents. You have small children. And even if you don't have small children of your own, all of you have some sort of part to play in the spiritual development, either of Knox and the covenant children of this congregation, or, assuming you belong to another congregation, in the spiritual development of the covenant children of that church. So, Stephen and Brenda, I've got three things I want to say especially this morning. And the first thing I want to say is that God has given you a great gift. God has given you a great gift. I want you to notice verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is our reward. And I want to especially draw your attention to that word, heritage. It's actually a word we just sang in Psalm 33. 
and it's a word that appears quite often in the Old Testament. And one of the ways that it's most commonly used is to describe the promised land. Uh, The land that God gave to Israel to be a place where they can live. And you may remember that the promised land was divided up amongst the different tribes and the different families by lots. Uh, So different families would have different pieces of land. And whenever you think about it, each different piece of land would be different, wouldn't it? Uh, Some pieces of land would be lovely and lush and green. Other pieces of land would be hard and rocky. And it would take a whole lot of work to cultivate it and get it ready for crops. Some pieces of land would be hilly. Some pieces of land would be flat. Lots of pieces of land would be somewhere in between the two. But if you were one of God's people in the Old Testament, what was the single most important thing about the piece of land that you and your family had? It wasn't how green it was. It wasn't how lush it was. It wasn't what it was like compared to that family's land away over there. The most important thing about your land was that you were able to stand in it And you were able to say, this land right here is our heritage from God himself. That made the land special. Surely, there's quite a number of parallels with children. They're all so different, aren't they? You could spend all day comparing children in one family to children in another family, or even just comparing children within the same family. Some children love nothing more than to sit inside and read. Other children, they're always itching to get outside, aren't they? They want to explore the great outdoors. Some children are peaceful and they're placid. Some children you have to work really, really hard with them. To try and tame their temper. Some children come out of the womb. Exactly as you were maybe expecting and hoping for them to come out. Other children come out of the womb. And they have challenges and they bring challenges. That you weren't necessarily expecting. And yet. Whatever your child's personality is like, whether he's a good sleeper or a bad sleeper, whether he gobbles up his vegetables or he flings them off the plate, you can look at him and you can say, he is a heritage from God. He's a gift. He is someone to be loved and cherished. And so Stephen and Brenda, the first piece of application and the most obvious piece of application from this passage is that you should be thanking God for Knox over and over again. You should make that a very conscious point of prayer to thank God for this heritage that he has given you. Of course, that's not just the case for Stephen and Brenda. There are other parents who are here this morning. And that's an application for you as well. You should be thankful for the heritage that God has given you. 
I also want to say something this morning to those of you who don't have children of your own. Especially those of you who really would have loved to have children, but it's not a gift that God has blessed you with. I want you to realise this morning that the greatest part of Israel's heritage was not actually the land itself. That land was actually no more special in one sense than any other piece of land anywhere else in the earth. The only reason that land was special was because it's the place where God dwelled especially. And it's the place where God's people were able to live under the covenant blessing of God. And the land really, it was a heritage, yes, but it was actually pointing forward. It was pointing forward to the greatest part of God's covenant blessing. It was pointing forward to the Saviour Jesus Christ. The land was actually a signpost. It wasn't the final destination. And so I want you to remember this morning, if you don't have this particular gift, this particular heritage, I want you to remember... You do have the greatest gift. You do have the greatest heritage. And even something as special and as joyful as having children is only just a signpost to what you have as one of the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me also say, even if you don't have children of your own, you're a part of this congregation, or a congregation, I, I imagine. And every covenant child who comes into your congregation is also a blessing that you get to enjoy. They are gifts from God. And so, not just Stephen and Brenda, but everybody here, will you join with us this morning in thanking God for this precious gift, this heritage that he's given to us. Stephen and Brenda, God has given you a great gift. Secondly, God has given you a great challenge. God has given you a great challenge. Notice verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Now, I realise that's a strange way to describe children. At least it's a strange way in the year 2021. And yet I think if we were able to put ourselves into the shoes of God's people in the Old Testament, I think we could actually start to understand this verse a whole lot better. And bear in mind, God's people in the land of Israel, they were surrounded by hostile nations. There were all sorts of people who would have loved nothing more than to just wipe out the followers of the one true God. Think, for example, of all the various ites that you read about in the Old Testament. The Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Midianites. And so, if you were one of God's people, and if you were going to enjoy the heritage of God's covenant, if you were going to live in the the promised land with God's people... You had to be ready. Ready for the possibility of attack. And of course, whenever those raiding parties came, 
one of the key weapons in your city's arsenal would have been arrows. If you lived back when this psalm was written, you would have been all too aware of how useful it was for a city to have well-trained, well-equipped archers. I'm not aware of any raiding parties from the Philistines or the Midianites that have come to Stornoway any time recently. But in one sense, not very much has changed, has it? We are still God's people. And we're still surrounded by God's enemies. And we still need to fight. The big difference, of course, is as Paul reminds us, Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but our battle is with the spiritual forces of darkness. That means, Stephen and Brenda, if Knox is going to grow up to enjoy the heritage of God's people, he's going to have to fight. He's going to have to face the battle. He's going to have to fight against those spiritual forces of darkness. He's going to have to take his stand on the battlefield. He's going to be bombarded by the devil's fiery darts of temptation. He's going to be bombarded by the toxic messages of the world around us. He's going to have to stand firm in a world where God's people are seriously outnumbered. He's going to have to be faithful to the Lord Jesus, even though that faithfulness is going to cost. And so Stephen and Brenda, here is the great challenge that God has given you. You're to get Knox ready for the battlefield. Maybe you can imagine it. Imagine an archer. It's the night before he goes to battle. And there he is, and he's holding on to his arrow. And he's checking every last millimetre. And as he looks at his arrow, maybe he sees a splinter or a rough edge. Very small. But he knows that when he fires that arrow, if that splinter is still there, it's enough for the arrow to veer off course. And so what does he do? Well, he takes the shaft of the arrow, doesn't he? And very, very carefully, very meticulously, he smooths it out. Or you can imagine, maybe the archer, he looks at the arrowhead. And he thinks to himself, that looks a little bit blunt. And so what does he do? Well, he sharpens it, of course, doesn't he? Because the archer wants to make sure that when he fires that arrow, whenever it hits one of the enemies who's on the attack, it's going to pierce right through the armour and it's going to get to the chest. He wants to make sure that when he fires that arrow, it's not going to veer even so much as an inch off target. And Stephen and Brenda, as you bring up Knox and Zoe and Eloise, you're going to find plenty of rough edges that need to be smoothed out. And so your task is the same as any well-trained archer. You're to get your three arrows ready for battle. And what an opportunity you have to do that. 
what an opportunity to shape these three young lives. And those of you who have young children of your own, what an opportunity you have to read God's word alongside your family. To pray with your children. What an opportunity you have to lovingly correct and discipline your children. What an opportunity you have to model Christian living for your children so they can see what that looks like from up close. And Stephen and Brenda, as you take your vows shortly, you're going to promise to do exactly that. An archer shapes the arrows. But as well as that, an archer aims the arrows, doesn't he? There's no point in spending all this time smoothing out the rough edges, sharpening up the arrowhead, if you then go and fire your arrow in completely the wrong direction. And sadly, one of the things that we often see, and we do sometimes see it in the church, is parents who have a target for their children, that it's the same target as their neighbours. A successful education, a good career, extracurricular activities, a good work ethic. Of course, those things are all good things to aim for. They are good things. But if those are the only things that you have in your crosshairs as a parent, well, you're wasting your arrow. Stephen and Brenda, your real target, your primary target, is that Knox knows the Lord Jesus for himself. Your primary target is that he grows up to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Let me say to the rest of you here, you may not have the same opportunities as Stephen and Brenda to shape Knox, but at the very least, you can pray for this covenant child. You can pray that he would grow up to follow Christ and to be like Christ. You can pray that he would be an effective arrow. And it's exciting. Because who knows? When an archer fires the arrow from the bow, what happens to that arrow? It goes to a part of the battlefield where the archer himself is not able to go. It accomplishes something that the archer himself is not able to accomplish by himself. Well, who knows where God might just take Knox in years to come. Who knows what part of the battlefield might God use Knox in in years to come. Who knows what God might do through Knox in years to come for the glory of Jesus Christ. Stephen and Brenda, God has given you a great gift. He has given you a great challenge. Thirdly, God has given you great hope. God has given you great hope. It's a monumental challenge. It may well strike you as you take your advice in just a moment. It's easy to be completely overwhelmed by the sheer scale of the vows that we take and by the sheer scale of the challenge that we face. 
at the vows that you're about to take, they are going to commit you to shaping this arrow for years and years and years to come. That's going to be hard work. And yet there's something that we need to remember. A baptism is not mainly about the promises you make. It's mainly about the promises that God makes. And we thought already this morning about the covenant. We thought about circumcision, which was a sign of the covenant. Well, baptism is the New Testament covenant sign. And today, Knox is being recognised as a child of the covenant. And at the heart of the covenant is the promise that God made in the Old Testament. It's a promise that Peter reiterates for us in the New Testament at Pentecost. It's the fact that God's covenant promises are for you and for your children after you. And surely that's why we're able to read and sing what we do in verse 5. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. You know, I mentioned at the start of the sermon, that article I read, those interviews with those different people who have decided not to have children. Well, there's one other reason that a number of couples gave. And it's this. They felt that they just wouldn't be happy if they were to bring children into this world. You know, they look around them and they watch the news and they see all the hurt, all the hardship, all of the suffering and they think to themselves, it just wouldn't be fair to bring a new life into a world as broken as that. sympathise to an extent with what those couples say because the world is broken and there is hurt and there is hardship and there is suffering and so how is it that a believer can be happy even though they know that their children are going to have to face trials and traumas and temptations Is it not surely because of God's covenant faithfulness to his people? Is it not surely because God promises to be a God not just to us, but to our children after us? Is it not because God has a long track record of saving and blessing future generations? Stephen and Brenda... You can be happy with the three arrows in your quiver because you have a God who shows mercy to the children of the covenant. And there's a great picture of that in the second half of verse 5. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. You may well remember, in the Old Testament, the gate of the city or the gate of the town is often where important business was transacted. 
And of course, one of the big hopes in that sort of society was that if you were a family living in Israel, you would have sons who would then go on to carry on the business, the family business, after you have to retire. And I wonder, have any of you ever seen a son who lets his parents down when it comes to the family business? It does happen, doesn't it? Maybe the father has spent years, maybe even decades, building up the business. He has managed it in a really wise, really skillful way. And by the time that the father is too old to keep on managing the business, it's got a great reputation. When he's advanced in years, he passes the business on to his son. His son is now in control. You've maybe seen it before. It's a complete and utter disaster. The son manages the business in an incredibly foolish way. And the reputation of the business goes circling around the dream. Well, the picture we have in verse 5 is the opposite of that. Here is the next generation and they are conducting business and by God's grace they're not bringing shame either on themselves or on their parents. And surely that is exactly what every single Christian parent wants for their children. They want them to carry on the family business as it were. They want them to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. The ways that they learned in the family home. They want them to walk in such a way that they don't bring shame either on themselves or on their parents. But they bring joy and delight and thankfulness. And surely this verse, it's teaching us to have a certain amount of of godly, Christ-like expectancy when it comes to the children of the covenant. Let me be clear, it's not giving us a cast-iron guarantee for every single covenant child. There will always be some who abandon the faith or don't walk in the ways of their parents or don't walk in the ways of their parents until they themselves are well advanced in years. And we should be clear, that is not always because of some great sin or some great failure on the part of the parents. But surely this verse and the whole scope of God's word, it teaches us to expect that as a principle, God will continue to bless covenant families through the succeeding generations. Let me also say, if you have children of your own, maybe grown-up children, and they have turned from God's ways, they've turned from the ways that you raised them to walk, does this verse not give you a great warrant to pray great prayers for God's covenant mercy. 
why can we be happy? Why can we expect to see God working as a principle in our families? Well, it's because of verse 1, isn't it? Stephen and Brenda, you're not the ones building your house. God is. And he is the one who gives you great hope. And so Stephen and Brenda, you can also find that verse 2 is going to be true of your experience. As you take this gift in your hands, as you shape him, as you prepare him for the battle, you can take God's gracious covenant promises, you can take them to heart, you can rely on them. And even amidst the late night feeds, even amidst the crying at 3am, as you trust in the gracious character of your gracious covenant God, you will find that even amidst the worries and the trials of this world, that our gracious God gives his beloved sleep. And you can rest in those promises. And you can have that peace for yourself. Well, let's come before God and pray briefly, and then I'll ask Stephen and Brenda to, to, to stand. So let, let's all stand as we pray. Our Father, we praise you because we are not the ones who build the house. We praise you because this is true of building our, our family homes. We praise you because it's true of raising children. But we praise you because it's true of every single aspect of living the Christian life. We praise you because it's true of the church. We praise you because it's true of our taking the gospel out. We praise you because it's true of every single aspect of life. Father, we praise you because we can sleep, we can rest, we can be at peace. Because we know that our work is not in vain. Because ultimately, you are the one who does the work. And so, Father, we pray you'd help each of us to take these truths to heart. We pray you'd help us to think carefully about how they apply to not just parenthood, but to every single aspect of our lives. We pray that you'd help us to depend more and more on your spirit equipping us. And we pray that you would give us this great peace. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Stephen and Brenda can stay standing and everybody else can be seated. Well, Stephen and Brenda, as, as Psalm 127 shows us, you have a great challenge before you. And I'm now about to... Um, to bring the vows before you and these vows they're not committing you to anything that you're not already committed to as covenant people but they are a recognition of the covenant responsibilities that God has given you so I am going to um, to read each vow in turn and perhaps together you could simply say we do after each each vow so Eloise I'm going to ask your parents your mummy and daddy some, some questions and they're going to promise to raise an ox in the love of Jesus. Stephen and Brenda, 
Do you promise to train Knox to pray, read the Bible, and attend public worship? Do we do? Do you promise to teach Knox his need of repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and confessing his name? We do. Do you promise to exercise a loving and firm parental authority while setting an example of a holy and consistent life? We do. Do you promise to pray for Knox and to engage regularly in personal, family and public worship? We do. Okay. Well, at this point, we're going to, to pray. Let me simply say before we do pray, I know that most of you are probably in the practice of closing your eyes during prayer, um, but I'm going to be breaking off from the prayer midway through to baptise Knox. I want you to remember God has given us a visual sign this morning, so do feel free, please, to open your eyes and to watch, because this is a sign that God has given us better understand his covenant faithfulness. Let me say to the children as well, um, this is a perfect opportunity for you to, to look and to see illustrated before you God's covenant mercies. So I'd ask that the congregation please stand as we pray. Our Father, we praise you this morning for this covenant sign. And we praise you because It is more than just a sign. We praise you because this is a means of grace. We praise you, Father, because this is a means of grace, not just to those of us who are old enough this morning to understand it, but it will be a means of grace for Knox as he considers his status in years to come as a child of the covenant and as he thinks of the pledges that his parents have made this morning. Father, we praise you because baptism is a source of great blessing. We praise you because it is a source of great hope. Because in this sign, you make promises and we see our position as people of the covenant. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless each of us richly as as we celebrate this wonderful sacrament this morning. Father, we thank you for Stephen and Brenda. We thank you for their faith. We thank you for each of their children, for Zoe, for Eloise, and for Knox. And we thank you for how each of us can can say with great confidence from our experience of this family that these three covenant children will be raised to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, will be raised to be made aware of their covenant responsibilities and will be presented with your covenant faithfulness on a daily basis. And I, Knox, Edmund McCollum, I baptise you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Our Father, We praise you for the sign of the covenant that Knox has just received. And we pray that this sign would be more than just a sign. But we pray that you would provide Knox with inner regeneration, with inner washing. And we pray, Father, that just as you have placed your name upon Knox this morning, 
We pray that Knox would grow up to name you, to name the Lord Jesus Christ as his saviour and as his only source of hope. Father, we pray for Stephen and Brenda. We pray for your grace as they enjoy this gift that you've given them, but also as they meet this challenge that you have presented them with. We pray that you help them to be wise and diligent and faithful as they seek to shape this arrow and also the other two arrows that you have blessed them with. We pray, Father, that in your grace, as these arrows leave the bow in years to come, as they leave the family home, we pray that they would go to their target straight and true. Father, we also pray for the congregation here. We thank you for the joyous occasion as another covenant child is recognised as being part of this congregation. We pray that you'd help each member of the congregation as they execute their duties. Help them, Father, as they pray for Knox. Help them as they seek to set a godly example. And we pray, Father, not just for Knox, not just for Zoe, not just for Eloise, but for all the covenant children of this congregation. We pray for the young people here today, Father. And we pray that they would know Christ's blessing. We pray that they would know that inner washing. And we pray, Father, especially for those who are older and those who are not walking in Christ's ways. And we pray, Father, that you would meet those families with great covenant mercy. We pray that their parents would have great thanksgiving as they see their children turning to the Lord Jesus and being saved. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please, everyone, have a seat. Well, we have been spending time this morning reading God's Word from Psalm 127. There's no better way, I think, to end our service than by singing those same words. So Psalm 127, we're going to sing the whole psalm. Psalm 127. As we sing this, we want to be thankful for the heritage that this congregation and this family is celebrating this morning. But let us also be even more thankful for the ultimate heritage. The heritage which is God's Son, Jesus Christ, given to us. So Psalm 127, let's stand and sing grace. Except the Lord Oh, 
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.